Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. We've always thought that the most compelling story strikes the perfect balance between an honest look at the mess of life and the humor that can be found in the mess. To be perfectly honest, we don't really know how to live life without both the humor and the authenticity. Our podcast might be a little bit of whiplash at times. We can spin from hard and deep to humor and laughing on a dime. The hard will be really hard and the truths we share are the ugliest of humanity. We don't intend to make it seem like it's all fine or to pretty up the pain, but we also know that the joy we found is all the more profound because of the pain. So we hope you can stick with us through the ugly because there will also be joy and hope and humor. Welcome to the ugly truth about the girl next door. Hi, welcome back to our podcast, The Ugly Truth About the Girl Next Door. I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. And we are back, um, back from a bit of a break over the holidays. Just got back from Boston, Massachusetts again. Yeah, it's been a minute since we've podcasted. Mostly just time. (laughs) We're busy building and growing our new nonprofit, Mezzo Allies. Also, just the holiday season, you know, we've talked a lot about, we've talked a lot about it about it on social media but also on the podcast just the reality of how hard the holidays can be um how hard the holidays are how at every opportunity that offenders get to uh terrorize and taunt and hurt they do and holidays are an especially particular time that they decide to do that so that was a lot getting through this year. I know. I have a fidget and it's making noise and Lori doesn't like that it's going to be in the background. <laughs> Please don't do that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so we're back though and we wanted, um, we have a really good episode today. Stick with us. But just a quick update because uh, some people have been asking what we've been up to and how things are going. Um, so we're still getting sued. That's still walking still happening. through a defamation a suit. Yep. The court process is painfully excruciating. It's takes a long time and it's complicated as we have said right along about anything having to do with the legal system yeah very complicated still a smear campaign out there offenders and their flying monkeys right every offender has to have some flying monkeys that can do their dirty work for them offenders have quite a bit quite a few of them actually um so the the offenders and their flying monkeys and their families and all the people still out there doing a smear campaign of us you know they adjust to whatever I do to resist um, anything that we put out there or that we talk about or that I do to keep myself safe. They just adjust and they do something different to terrorize and threaten. So the good news is they are now um, sort of left to, again, they can't physically hurt you at this point. And so they are left to the legal system and it's a level playing field there now. Yeah, they're left to social media and Mm -hmm. to the internet, um, hiding behind screens, which we love. Mm. Um, We don't hide behind screens. Our names are (laughs) fully out there for people to see. But um, actually, funny that I'm saying this because someone actually, one of these flying monkeys tagged me in something. And someone who supports us actually commented and was like, you don't need to tag Kate. We all know who Kate is. It's you that's hiding behind the screen. And I was like, oh, yes. I love that. Thank you. I can't even remember who it was that said it. But But thank thank you you. to that person Mm -hmm. because, yeah, exactly. I'm not hiding behind the screen. I'm out here telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And you're the one behind the screen. But okay. But the other good news is we still have incredibly kick-ass attorneys um, consistently say that I would not want to be on the opposing side of Joe Manna, my attorney. Um, he is uh, <laughs> 
He is great. And um, yeah, he 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 enjoys the hunt. So <laughs> something you very much want in an attorney. Yeah. So we appreciate yeah, that. The aggressive. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're, we're grateful. We're really, really grateful for um, both of the firms that are representing us and for um, for all of that. Um, I think these people also forget that you are not a frightened child who they can now isolate. Therefore you have no supports or resources. Yeah. Um, you have the keys to the car, you have support, you have resources and therefore their tactics are not as successful as they once were. Yeah. I mean, they probably forget that because it was a very, very, very long time that that wasn't true that I, even as an adult was a frightened kid that I was, responding and reacting from a place of trauma and so they they are learning that (laughs) um and we will continue to um hit that point home um Mm -hmm. another fun fact (laughs) uh going back to the smear campaign and hiding behind screens um so the so i read i think it's actually 2023's annual report or no, 2022's annual report. But I was reading online, um, someone sent me the annual report that Cornerstone Church on Grin Island put out. Um, I believe it was not from this past year, but from the year before. But one thing that they said was that they um, their goal for this next year was to repair their reputation in the community, which I think is really interesting because I came across a screenshot of an email that someone had, had um, sent to us that she had received from John Sherholtz, the lead pastor of Cornerstone Church, in which he was directing um, people. Uh, This woman had emailed him basically saying, like, what are you thinking having sex offenders in your building? And he sent them a link to a Facebook page that is designed, sole purpose is to discredit us, um, along with some just really heinous remarks from him, Mm -hmm. things that are completely just, not true. Not true. And just really, really like, uh, yeah, lots of things. Um, so, yeah, I'm really interested to see how they're going to repair their reputation in the community when their their pastor, their lead pastor is literally uh, sending people to um, to this Facebook group and to places and, you know, in a way that's really, really just harmful. And um, yeah, so. That's an interesting <laughs> goal yeah. for them. So good luck. That's what I'd like to say. Uh, for any of my, for any of the people out there who listen to or who've watched The Office, which, you know, you've watched The Office, I right? I have watched The Office. Have yeah. you, you don't ever remember, like, you are bad at remembering, like, quotes <laughs> out of things, but. Yes, I am. Um, there's one where Andy uh, is, like, they go to, like, a local high school because, like, there was, like, a misprint or something and it ended up in their yearbook and he finds out that, um his girlfriend is actually a high schooler and like that we're not going to like address how bad that is. But anyways, so he's talking to the principal and he was like, I want to take out an ad in the yearbook. And he's about to say something like really terrible. And Jim interrupts him and is like two pages. Good luck. (laughs) That is what I would like to say to Cornerstone. Like two pages. Good luck. (laughs) Good luck with your reputation. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways. So we are, but we are still the, the point of all of that is that we are still fighting against the tide of disbelief that this kind of abuse could possibly happen, even though the statistics are there to support it. Um, we've quoted this statistic before, um, but we've learned over 
the time that we've been podcasting and with Mezzo. Um, never hurts to say it again. Um, Polaris, which, you know, Google it, Polaris is a leading data-driven organization that's purpose is to reduce, prevent, and ultimately end sex and labor trafficking and also supports survivors on their path toward freedom and healing. They report that 42% of survivors of exploitation report that their first trafficker was a family member. But yet we are still rarely talking about this kind of exploitation. Um, 42% of those who are being sexually exploited, their first trafficker was a family member. That's a lot. And yet, again, we've got to be talking about it more. But yet we are still constantly getting pushback of like, that could not possibly be. Yeah. And plenty of Darvo. So we've done a whole episode on Darvo. So if you want a deeper dive than what we're about to talk about, please go back and listen. But so when you ask kind of like, what's the update? A lot of our updates are very much that we are perpetually and constantly dealing with Darvo. Darvo is an acronym for D, deny, A, accuse, RVO, reverse victim and offender. Mm -hmm. Um, So the term was actually initially used by Jennifer Fried. Um, She introduced it in 1997 in a publication. She's a professor at Stanford. I believe she's at Stanford now. Um, So interesting fun fact about Jennifer Fried. um, Actually, around 1990, she severed ties with her parents, stating that she, in therapy, she was processing through memories of sexual abuse by her father, who was a math professor. Um, her parents, Pamela and Peter Fried, disputed that and in 1990 co-founded the False Memory Syndrome Foundation, um, which they which dis- they had. Abs- I can't even imagine what motivation they would have. Why would they to do have started that? such a foundation? Purely because they want to educate well, the public. Obviously. You know, right. Clearly. Makes right. so much sense. Yeah. To me. It's okay. just they. The, yeah. No, it has uh-huh, nothing uh-huh. to do with the fact that they're going way out of their way again it's not concerned for their daughter uh-uh. right it's right. it's let's make sure that we right like right. yeah okay. i love to that okay this is in our outline they're described as a u.s advocacy group that's how they describe themselves yes an advocacy group for people claiming to have been wrongly accused of physical and sexual abuse okay can mm-hmm. we also talk about really quickly this is not in our notes but so they're an advocacy group for people claiming to have claiming to have been wrongly accused of physical and sexual abuse um, can we talk about the fact that 92 to 98% of sexual abuse allegations are found to be true? Mm-hmm. So like how many people are they advocating for? Yeah. I wonder. Do you know what I mean? Cause yeah. like five. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh-huh. that's interesting. So if you want more information about the false memory syndrome foundation and sort of the, a deeper dive in that, we have an episode about that too. Um, it's called the memory wars. Mm-hmm. There's also another episode called Trauma and Memory where we talk a little bit about the brain science of memory. But for sure, the memory wars will give you an opportunity to learn a little bit more about false memory and the science behind that. Mm -hmm. Um, But we want to quote for you an article that was written by who was it written by? Oh, just a blogger. He was a he has a um, we'll link it. We'll link it. Yeah, we'll link it. We will. Okay. so here's what he had to say about Darvo and memory and that he said. Please pay attention here, guys. Okay. I'm going to link this. And I'm going to screenshot these. And I'm going to post them on social media because everybody needs to hear this. Um, but pay attention here. Okay. So what he said is, it is important to distinguish types of denial. For an innocent person will probably deny false accusations. Thus, denial is not evidence of guilt. However, I propose that a certain kind of indignant, self-righteous, and overly stated denial may in fact relate to guilt. 
I hypothesize that if an accusation is true and the accused person is abusive, the denial is more indignant, self-righteous, and manipulative as compared with denial in other cases. Similarly, I have observed that actual abusers threaten, bully, and make a nightmare for anyone who holds them accountable or asks them to change their abusive behavior. This attack, intended to chill and terrify, typically includes threats of lawsuits, overt and covert attacks on the whistleblower's credibility, and so on. Guys, it's literally like I wrote this, but I didn't write this. Right. Like, it's like, I've never felt so, like, somebody, a total stranger, was putting words to exactly what's happening. Right. Yep. Right? Yeah. Oh, no. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the guy, the man's name is Wade Mullen. I want to make sure that we give him the credit that he deserves. Wade Mullen and the blog is discrediting the truth tellers. Again, yeah. we'll link it, but yeah. wanted to make sure yeah, that yeah, we yeah. got that in there. I mean, honestly, it's, it's about as clear as it can possibly be. And I feel like that's a conversation we've had before, mm-hmm. right? Of course, if you're being falsely accused of something, you are going to, of course, express and state your innocence and probably provide some backup for why you're saying that you're innocent. Mm, that's um, also the key though. Provide some backup for why you're innocent. Oh yeah. There's that right. too. I have right. to see that. Oh yeah. Interesting. No, no. Uh-uh. Huh. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and oh, by the way, it, the statistics are on the side of the victim, right? And mm-hmm. 90 to 98% of them are proven to be valid. Um, but okay. Right. Let's just be ready to default to the opposite way. Right. Um, but if I am falsely accused, I'm going to state my innocence, but I'm also going to have some amount probably of like compassion or empathy or concern for the person who's stating these things. And I'm probably going to have enough self-control and wisdom to basically be like, I'm stating my innocence and then I'm not going to fan the flames of this conversation anymore. Yep. At some point, an innocent person is... Yeah, honestly, it, this is... Um, in this smear campaign um, you don't see us over here fighting it and drawing attention to it and uh, we are going to fight it in a different way Um, but yeah because it is like I don't need to do that I've said my truth I've said the truth and that's that can hold water all on its own it doesn't need you know what I mean right. so yeah the things that they are saying about us are also false and also right. um inaccurate very very inaccurate and yet um it's that whole idea of thou protest too much yes right yeah um, look at you quoting Shakespeare I don't even really know what that's from <laughs> so Shakespeare good job <laughs> yeah I'm reading a really weird book right now and they talk about Shakespeare anyway oh. totally an aside okay <laughs> squirrel <laughs> In um, traffic. Listen, I am now following his blog and I'm going to tell you, like, I am, I am here for it. I ordered his book. Like, okay, I am she's here about for it. it. Like, this guy, I've never felt so, like, someone has written down the things that are so true. Wade Mullen um, goes on to say, um, truth telling is a difficult high road that sometimes requires confronting deceptive and abusive people who have taken the easy low road of truth repelling. And I really love that term, truth repelling, because it is the, exactly, yeah, just so on point. Um, he says, one of the tactics used by deceptive people or organizations, or organizations, I also want to put that in there too, yes. right? Organizations can also be part of this problem of Darvo. We mm-hmm. talk about the the lead pastor at Cornerstone Church and their entire organization working to discredit, putting resources behind discrediting a survivor of, okay, whatever. Yep. 
Uh, one of the tactics used by deceptive people or organizations when exposed is to turn that landscape upside down. Mm-hmm. Conformity to a powerful person or entity can result in hostility to any who challenge it. And that hostility is often, often fueled by false narratives. The false narratives actively work against the goals and safety as a community is led to shun or condemn truth tellers. A pattern of controlling the narratives of victim survivors can destroy any hope they have of finding peer support on their journey towards seeking truth and repair. Which is so obviously true. It is very hard to, I mean, to keep trying to speak up, to keep trying to find your people if you dip your toe in that water and you're immediately crushed by Darvo. Yeah. It's very hard. Or crushed by the constant narrative that's coming out of the abuser's mouths, right? We've talked about this. My entire life has been crushed because of that narrative, right? Mm -hmm. It started a long time ago when my teacher at CCA, I said to her, my father is sexually abusing me and she didn't do anything about it and instead uh, forced me to confront him at 12 years old across a conference room table at the school and I couldn't do it. And from that point forward, the narrative has always been, well, she lied in middle school. No, I did not fucking lie in middle school. They didn't do their job correctly and asked a 12-year-old to do the impossible. And then we're shocked when she couldn't, when I couldn't. And then for the rest of time, that has been the narrative. Mm -hmm. And again, the offenders and their flying monkeys and the institutions and their flying monkeys have continued to use that narrative as a way of trying to shut us down. Yep. Unsuccessfully, yeah. I might add, yeah. which we're going to get to later. Yeah. So again, back to quoting Wade Mellon. Yeah, Wade, we really should have Wade Mellon on this podcast. We should, oh, gonna, we should ask him. I'm going to contact him. Yeah, I'm going to read his book and I'm going to contact him and be like Michael Salter too. God, we do. If anybody yeah. knows Michael Salter um, from Australia, mm-hmm. my God, please, 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 like we yeah. would just... I would like would be amazing. Yeah. I would die to Mm. talk to him. But anyway. Okay. So Wade Mullen again, this deception that can cause loving friends and family to become torn apart, demonstrating how quickly and easily people can betray fundamental values like truth. It takes much support, moral courage and patience to challenge what seems to be unquestionable. Beyond intimidation and threats, more subtle messages might seek to cast truth tellers and their supporters in the worst possible light by, number one, amplifying and exaggerating any perceived negative characteristics or stereotypes, such as, why didn't they speak up sooner? Oh, have we heard that a time Mm -hmm. or two? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number two, belittling any positive characteristics like integrity. For example, they're not really interested in right and wrong if they're speaking out to others. Oof, we've heard that one too. Oh, what do you know? Yeah, okay. a few times, mostly from Cornerstone yeah. and the chapel, actually. And the chapel, mm-hmm. yep. And yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Number three, unfairly associating them with people or ideas they deem untrustworthy. Ah, see, they've been, for example, they've been reading or following, for example, the false memory thing. <laughs> I have been following that. No, no. But (laughs) what they've been saying is that I have been somehow you've been following me and Uh I am like a crazy person who doesn't understand memory and trauma and how that works. And I have hypnotized you maybe like that. Did you? I don't know how to hypnotize. If I knew how to. I didn't think so. Can we just say again? I didn't think so. If I knew how to hypnotize people, (laughs) there'd be a whole bunch of people from Quarterstone walking around clucking like a chicken. (laughs) 
If I could actually do that, people, I would be having so much fun with this. Life would be so much more fun if you knew how to do that or if that was even a thing. So, yeah, that would be so fun. If anyone has a book on that, please send it our way. Okay, (laughs) Left turn there. But Uh, wow. Okay, but also like on that point, if if. If that was even a thing, why would somebody, what would be the gain there to hypnotize somebody to having bad memories? Like you would be like a bazillion dollar, like worth a bazillion dollars therapist. Because by the way, we are having oh so much fun out here with what we're doing. (laughs) Like stop it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So the, right. The the flying monkeys and the naysayers, they're all basically saying you're following me, but also like I have no integrity. You have no integrity. And we've been somehow co-opted into believing that false, like recovered memories are a thing. Okay. We might want to cut this. Oh boy. Here we go. Scissors. (laughs) Eric, where are my scissors? Uh, Okay. I okay. There, they have said both that you hypnotized me right to have false memories, and that I have lied. Hmm. Both of those things cannot be true at the same time. It is either in their world that you hypnotized me, and therefore I wouldn't be at fault because I didn't know it's my fault. Or right. you don't know how to hypnotize, and I lied. But it's it's neither of those things for clarity. Right, but. They're Couldn't claiming both. both, and both of those things cannot be true at the same time. The end. Okay. The okay. end of our podcast. All right. <laughs> yeah. It feels like mic drop. <laughs> That's it. Yep. Okay. All right. So anyway, Wade Mullins, <clears throat> his last uh, example, he said, okay, so this is the, um, the one of the ways that they, okay, the subtle one of, okay. Another way that Wade Mullins <laughs> describes the subtle messages that the intimidators try to put out there to like put the truth tellers out into the cold is unfairly separating them from people or ideas they deem trustworthy right mm. um so they walked away from their faith yep yep right yep 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 how many times mm-hmm. okay if even if you are not a survivor there is a movement happening in society right now where people are deconstructing their faith mm-hmm. right i'm not going to really talk about my feelings on that but um it's a thing it's a whole movement about spiritual abuse and what mm-hmm. is going on in churches these days um this is exactly that being kept in an organization such as a church that is uh has the power to literally um tell people how to think what to think and if they don't think or do or say or be that way that they've they've walked away from faith and how is anyone supposed to win in that situation when the church is telling you what to do or not to do and it is coming directly from god tell me where it is that god said these things right right absolutely and the the completely ridiculousness the complete ridiculousness of people being afraid of deconstructing faith is okay if you really believe the things that you claim to believe about who God is, how big he is, all of that, then why on earth do we think that God can't handle it if people are trying to understand their faith? Like, really? Mm-hmm. Where Then where is your faith? Yeah. If you really think that that's such a, a threat right. to your whole way of life and the foundation, like, right. that makes no sense to me. So one thing that um, this is like kind of kind of the same vein but we're a little popcorny today and clearly squirrels in traffic <laughs> um I'm, still, I'm sorry i'm still stuck on the idea of cornerstone people clucking like i know i'm dead i'm, like, I'm dead now like christiana <laughs> christiana please make us some mugs with uh, people turning into chickens <laughs> get your cricket out girl we need you um okay. <laughs> no okay wait what was i gonna say though sorry mm, oh no i remember when um i severed contact with my family and we were gonna have that meeting 
And my mother's statement to my brother was, um, I'm very concerned because Lori is a secular therapist. (laughs) And what she means by that, so it's funny. It's very, very, very funny. Uh, But what she means by that is she is not someone that we can manipulate in the Christian faith world. Now, Lori is a Christian. Go back and listen to our episodes about where is God and and her faith and all of that. Um, My mom did not care about that because she was not someone within the church or within her circle of influence that she could manipulate and feed the narrative to, and that made her very nervous. The ridiculousness is, though, I actually was in her church. I, I just know. wasn't in her er, her sphere of influence. Like, she could not manipulate because or control me. the counseling ministry as a travel sucks. Yeah, hello. I, I mean, how really, really ridiculous is that? But I feel like that brings me constantly back to if someone like you, Kate, cannot be seen and heard when mm-hmm. you are articulate and bright and educated no history of substance use disorders, no mental health hospitalizations, no you had stable, known people supporting you. I'm not quite sure who exactly is going to get heard. No. no. So, okay. Um, but yet we know, mm-hmm. to bring us to sort of the next thing that we're swimming in these days, we know that there are so very many victims, survivors, um, tragically, who have been abused in the ways that Kate has been abused. This is not a one-off. This is not Buffalo is the pit of hell. This is not just a Kate's family kind of thing. Unfortunately, we've talked about these stats before. We're going to keep talking about them because we continue to bump up against this like wave of disbelief. Like how could it possibly be so? Well, it is so. Yeah. So uh, an international survey was done. So this is actually statistics that we we cite in our um, trainings that we've done, which we're going to talk about with Mezzo. Um, But in 2016, the Canadian Center for Child Protection did an international survey of adult survivors whose child sexual abuse was recorded and distributed. So these are adults who, when they were children, had pictures and videos taken of their sexual abuse. Um, and then was distributed illegally, obviously, as sexual abuse material or what we commonly refer to as child pornography, which I hate that term. But um, but so they did this international survey and they talked to these adult survivors and what they found. So what you have to understand, first of all, is where we have what we commonly know as child pornography, we have typically some version of exploitation and trafficking. OK, um, somebody is paying for those pictures. Somebody is exploiting this child to make money or to exchange something, right? So where you have child pornography, you typically have, well, you do have exploitation. You typically have trafficking with a commercial element. Um, So keep that in mind. But what they found in this international survey is that 58% of these now adult survivors um, having more than one person abusing them. So again, we're not just talking about a one-off situation. 58% say that there was a group of people, more than one offender, abusing them. 82% reported that the primary offenders involved when there was a multiple offender scenario were parents or extended family members. 82% of adults who had their pictures and videos taken during sexual abuse experiences said that it was their parent or caregiver who was facilitating that. Um, 56% of the survivors indicated that the abuse began before the age of four. Okay, again, we're asking ourselves, if 56% of these 
survivors are saying the abuse began before the age of four. Where were their parents? Right. If not facilitating or criminally neglectful. Right. Right. And 87% said that they were 11 years of age or younger. Right. So 56% their abuse started before the age of four. 87% it started 11 or younger. Yep. Um, 42% of these survivors were abused for more than 10 years. More than 10 years. Okay, again, something we talk about in our trainings. These are not opportunistic offenders. These are offenders who are closer to sociopathic or psychopathic offenders. They do not have an age preference. They have a power and control preference. And it is more about the money and the power and control than it is the age of the child. So that is why these children are being abused into adulthood. Um, I don't know if we have that statistic in here, but there is a statistic of um, how many of these survivors were abused into adulthood. There's a high prevalence of, of, of survivors who, especially when their abuse began very young, like part of the age of four, high percentage are continued to be abused into adulthood. Yeah. So again, people are shocked to hear that when I say that. It followed me to college. It followed me into my life. It followed me into adulthood. People are like, wait a second, because sexual abuse is usually like for a few years and then you outgrow the the offender, right? No, that's called an opportunistic offender. That is not what we are talking about here. Right. Um, a significance group, you can read that. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, 67% of the survivors were threatened with physical harm, including being told they would die or be killed. And a significant group of survivors reported torture involving rituals, electroshock, and near drowning. So this is not just Kate's experience. This is not just a Buffalo, New York thing. This is unfortunately a, a, a sector of horrendous sexual abuse that has gone unnoticed and under the radar for so long. And there are so many adults who are walking around out there who are the survivors of this, and they have been unable to be seen and heard and helped because no one has been talking about it. Even the anti-trafficking organizations have been slower than we would like to really kind of grab a hold of this idea that many of the survivors that they're already serving actually had their offenses, their exploitation begin in their childhood with a family member. And we understand like, I, so if, if for any of you who are in the anti-trafficking world who might be listening, please know that we completely understand that you cannot know what you don't know. Absolutely. Right. Yes. And so, and there is always a growing and developing of um, the services and the research and the awareness in whatever sector of public service we're talking about. So this is not like a shame blame thing. Mm-mm. This is just, okay, now that we know, we have to be talking about it and we have to provide different services and different levels of, of awareness. Unfortunately, the truth is that people would rather believe that someone would lie about this kind of stuff or be mentally ill rather than believe that this kind of evil exists and is capable of hiding in plain sight. Yeah. But we are here. This is why Mezzo. Yeah. Um, another thing we talk about in our trainings is the level of understanding of trafficking in general. Um, Again, commercial sexual exploitation of children, it is it is in the conversation of our society. We have celebrities involved. We have people in high places involved in the anti-trafficking movement, right? Society generally understands trafficking happens. People are bought and sold. Slavery is higher percentage, higher numbers than it ever has been in history. Um, that is a fact in society. 
But a lot of what we're talking about at that level one, so we, we in our training, I'm like doing it with my hands even though nobody can see me. Uh, in our training, we have a pyramid, right? And that base level where a lot of people understand trafficking happens, we're talking about it is happening over there. It's happening in Cambodia, right? The chapel in Western New York, the biggest, largest mega church in all of Western New York. They send their funding and their resources and their services to help children who are being trafficked in Cambodia. That's amazing. I'm not trying to take away from that, but what I'm saying is, again, they have a base understanding of trafficking is happening over there. And can I comment? <laughs> they have been doing that. Every year, their college-age ministry has been raising funds for anti-trafficking organizations primarily over there. I think this year they had a local anti-trafficking org who presented. <laughs> um, but historically, it has been for over there. Meanwhile, they completely failed and failed to show up for a survivor of sexual exploitation right in their own church. Yep. Yep. I have no words. Okay, that's the base level. That's level one. It couldn't be happening here because it's happening over there, and that's what we know. It's happening over there, so it can't possibly be happening here. Right. Right, we live in America. Hello, duh. Wrong. Um, (laughs) Level two, going up the pyramid, so less people understand that there is it is a US based thing, right? So this is where we find a lot of our anti trafficking organizations right now. Again, there's nothing wrong with this understanding. It's just that a, more people understand level one, fewer people understand level two, right? Which is pimp controlled, gang controlled, uh, you know, substance substance use disorders. Um, you know, we're talking about uh, like tweens and teens being sort of lured into it from the internet. Um, that, or abused into it. You've got a boyfriend. Exactly. Or, right. right. Dysfunctional like families, um, runaways, you know, the foster care system, kids coming out of there and having nowhere to go, things like that. Right. We understand that as a level two. It's a pretty a lot of people do understand that that is yeah. how trafficking looks in the right. U.S. It's why we're concerned about our kids on the Internet. Like, Absolutely. We understand that it yes. is a risk. It is a concern. Yes. Yeah. Um, but what we're not talking about, well, we, we're talking about it, yeah. is the top of the pyramid where less and less people understand is this level three. Um, and we're talking about organized abuse and family controlled human trafficking. Again, we're talking about the statistic 42% say that it was a parent or caregiver who trafficked them. And yet fewer under uh, fewer people understand what that actually translates to. Um, we acknowledge that it can look like a substance use disorder parent. Did I say that politically yeah, correct? Very good. Well oh, done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank we're thank we're you. working on our PC oh folks. Oh my God. It's so hard. Without going totally down the rabbit hole. <laughs> so but insane. yes. Right. But we, <coughs> we absolutely recognize that, you know, there is a particular vulnerability for economically disenfranchised families who perhaps have substance use issues or domestic violence issues or Right. They've got they're struggling. And sometimes that can look like now a child is being sexually exploited for in exchange for something of value. Yes, we recognize that family control trafficking can look like that, but it does not only look like that. That is one way it can look. Yeah. I also feel like the level one, two, three, um, there are more services and more anti-trafficking organizations um, available for those victims, which we actually know. We a mm-hmm. study that you'd seen out of Boston um, where they said that in the more affluent places, they there weren't services for these victims. There weren't any any there wasn't things that help. And 
things in place to help them. <laughs> My brain is going so fast right now. It's not healthy. <laughs> I'll edit a little bit. Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but the really exciting thing is that mezzo is growing. Yeah. And so even though, so to circle back, even though we continue to be combating Darvo, and even though we are still being sued, and even though the flying monkeys are still doing their thing, and we know that they're not going to stop. We're not sitting around holding our breath, waiting for them to stop. We know that they won't, but whatever. We're getting on with our lives and working the safety plans and moving forward. But Mezzo is growing. Mm-hmm. We, again, just got back from Boston and... Yeah, we yeah we spent uh, six days there this time. Um, we were able to train uh, the Worcester County DA's office, which we met the district attorney and... Uh, what an incredible human being. We are so, so grateful to have met him. He actually um, sat through our entire presentation, which was really cool. It's a big ask of somebody as busy as a district attorney to spend three hours listening to yeah. two women from Buffalo. Yeah. Um, but meeting him was really cool. I was I was expecting, um, I was kind of waiting, like he was like such, such a big deal. Like, oh, it's the district attorney, right? And I was kind of waiting and a little anxious. And then he was so down to earth and personable. And it was such a, like, okay, he's, he's just a guy and he's a really great guy. Um, but so we were able to train his entire staff. So the district attorney's office staff, as well as um, they have a child advocacy center that's linked to their district attorney's office and they work hand in hand. So we trained their staff as well as the CAC. So just in case people don't know, a child advocacy center is like a centralized location where children can go to be interviewed f- in the case of sexual abuse allegations so that there's a trained forensic interviewer, there's support staff, they can be interviewed like on camera or behind a two-way mirror um, so that hopefully their testimony, they only have to share their story once. Um, we do a whole training on how triggering it could potentially be for a child who has experienced the kind of exploitation that involves pictures and videos for there to be a camera, right? That's a whole part of what we're doing the training on. But again, how amazing it is that we now have opportunity to provide information to the staff who honestly, the the reaction by and large has been like, oh my gosh, we never saw it that way. We didn't think of it that way, but we are so grateful now to know. And wow, we have a lot that we got to figure out so that we can do this differently. Yeah, the response has not at all been, no way this couldn't be true. The response has been, we have been seeing this. Right. We just didn't have a name for it. So we Mm -hmm. are presenting now to the experts in the room. We are presenting Mm -hmm. to the people who are experts in child abuse and sexual abuse. And they are saying, yes, we have seen this. Where have we missed it? Um, We've had to do a lot of this last time talking around not beating themselves up, right? You didn't know what you didn't know. And now you do. And so now how are you going to move forward, right? It's this feeling of like they had all of these puzzle pieces and all of a sudden as we're talking, it's all falling into a picture that now they're like, okay, now I see. And now I need to write a narrative about how I'm going to operate in this space differently. Yeah. Yeah. So we trained the DA's office, Child Advocacy Center staff. And we did another full day training for um, the Department of Child and Family Services. So again, experts in the room, social workers on the ground, people who swim every day in the hard stuff of child abuse. Once again, the response was, oh, my gosh, Um, we are booked to come back to do another full day training for DCF in April, as well as a bunch of other things, Um, as well as another district attorney's office, another CAC. Um, 
We trained uh, nurses from DCF on what to look for in a healthcare setting. Um, we have a training coming up with Boston Children's Hospital that we're going to be training providers, uh, ED workers, nurses, social workers in that setting. Um, we had a request actually from the U.S. Attorney's Office, which was pretty cool. Um, so we'll see on right. that. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, we'll be speaking at a conference virtually in Texas. And we'll also be going to Idaho. Yes, um, we are. In April, which I, we're like, what? <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're super, super excited. We're excited, but we're also like on a mission. Like, I feel like yep. we started out kind of like adrenaline pumping, like, okay, oh my gosh, this is really happening. And now we're very much just like on a mission because we hear the responses and we hear the feedback from these trainings and we so clearly see that this is the path forward and this is exactly where we are supposed to be right now. Um, yeah, we've talked about the fact that, you know, the anti-trafficking organizations that emerged when people were first becoming aware of even level one, that it was happening over there, mm -hmm. right? There were some that were coming like at the, at the front end of that wave. Um, and there were people that were at the front end of the wave of noticing level two, that it was happening here in the U S and we feel like we are here at the front end of the wave of this. Yeah. Um, and you know, we are very excited to have other people kind of join us in this conversation. Yeah. Um, but it's clear that we need to be doing this. Yeah. Yeah. To, and to have opportunities to bring this information to as many people as possible, which kind of brings us to the next piece that we really want to talk about. Yeah. Which is. Um, so these are amazing opportunities and we're going to say yes to as many of these as we possibly can. Um, another domain that we really need to spread ourselves into is the conference world, right? So there are all kinds of social work conferences, anti-trafficking conferences, child abuse conferences, all kinds of places where professionals in the field are gathering to talk about current day events and strategies and what are the, the what are the things the emerging trends of sort of whatever it is that um is going on yeah um, silas is turning uh, in circles we've been asked um we actually are presenting at a conference in texas um we ended up doing it virtually just because it it's very expensive to travel to texas um and we are actually presenting at a social worker symposium um in boston so we have been given a we've been asked and been given several opportunities um, to speak at slash be at conferences in the anti-trafficking world because the anti-trafficking world is coming up to speed and recognizing, okay, this needs to be part of the conversation. Um, but what we quickly learned is that often at conferences, speakers and exhibitors are one, not paid, and sometimes two, have to actually pay to be there. Really, well, I was surprised to find that that is typically so. Yeah, like you have to pay full fee admission to the conference. And I mean- the admissions for the conferences for the two of us is upwards of a thousand dollars. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, so <laughs> this is kind of our call to action moment, I guess. Um, so neither of us are drawing a consistent salary from Mezzo at this point. Um, we will we willingly donate our time and our energy um, to conference presentations, um, but. Mezzo's a baby organization. <laughs> uh, I was actually working on our annual report and I'm, I'm shocked actually at what we've accomplished and just, we've actually only been an organization since, um, July. We've been an official <laughs> organization and we've only been a 501c3 since like September, October. 
Um, so we are a very, very baby organization. Um, and we recognize that, but we have all these opportunities to break into this like bigger space and bigger world. And we're, we're doing that. We're taking every opportunity that we have. Um, but the conference world is not a, um, a financially feasible place for us right now. Um, it's we not- can't afford to pay for travel and donating our time and, oh, by the way, pay a thousand dollars just to, attend to the be conference. there. Right. Yeah. Can't do that. Um, so our call to action is, um, what is all of this that you wrote in the outline? It's like a chicken and an egg. You wrote that. Oh, did I? Oh my goodness. Okay. That's not. Um, yeah, we're going to cut all of that. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, so uh, we've been really happy because like I said, we've declined a couple of these opportunities, but then we've actually had people come back and say, we really, really, really want you to be able to present at this conference. And so can we l- explore a virtual option? Um, we always say yes to that, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are some that it is truly in person and it needs to be in person. And that is just the opportunity. And really, ultimately, in person is the goal. It really is. is It is such an opportunity for us to network with other others across the country, sometimes across the world in the anti-trafficking movement. Um, We need to be able to be at these things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so our call to action is that we are in Mezzo is in need of sponsorships for conference fees. Um, one that we, one conference that we have kind of an immediate need for is the Freedom Network USA conference in Salt Lake City. Um, in order for us to just be at this conference and to be representing Mezzo as an exhibitor, uh, is $2,000. That doesn't cover travel fees. Yeah, no. That's just literally to have a table and to be at the conference. Yeah. Um, so if there is anybody in the world, in our <laughs> listening world, whose our voices fall upon your ears, um, who's able to do that, please reach out to us. Um, we would love to have some people that are supporting Mezzo in that way, um, that have a passion for this information getting out into the stratosphere and into the anti-trafficking world and ultimately providing better support, providing more helpers in the world to be able to support victims of this type of abuse. I mean, we can only train so many people, but if we can get to these other organizations, so they start now talking about it, the growth is now exponential. That's what we need to do. Right, right. Yeah. And the help is exponential, right? Mm -hmm. The more people that are having the conversation, what we keep saying in our trainings is we're here to start a conversation, right? We're here to make you aware. And then you go, go back and talk amongst yourselves, right? And now you become better helpers in the world. That is the goal of Mezzo. That's the mission of Mezzo is creating a safer space and a safer world for survivors of this type of abuse to come forward, to get free and to get help. Um, Because right now it is very, very, very hard. Um, So that is our ask. Um, If you are interested at all in helping Mezzo in that way, you can either email us, um, you can go through our website, you can DM us on social media, um, reach us lots of ways. Our website is uh, mezzoallies.com. So you can send us a message through there. Or like I said, social media is always a good way too. Um, So yeah, I guess we just felt the need to put it out there in case anybody was like wondering how they could help. Well, here's an opportunity for you to help. And remember, we are now officially a 501c3, so any donation is tax exempt. So Mm -hmm. if you would rather give it to us than the government, (laughs) we're happy to have you help us. Yeah. Well, we're happy to have you help Mezzo and to, again, spread this awareness and to spread the word that um, so that the next me, the next victim that comes forward, 
um, doesn't have to jump through 57 really dangerous hoops to get free and to get safe. Right? Yes. That's what we're about. That is what we are about. So well, thank you, everyone. Yeah. Thank you for all the support. We're always grateful. Um, I know we always kind of end on that note and maybe it sounds cliche or it sounds, I know I'm still doing the, the fidget, clicking the fidget. Um, but it is not, we genuinely, um, we're grateful. We, we made our connections in Boston because the husband of the woman that we've been connected to in Boston, like scrolled through Facebook and found our podcast, which I don't know if you saw her email yesterday. I he did. like loves to be a part of this and I'm so happy. We're so him. grateful for you. We love you. <laughs> um, but no, truly we're so grateful for people who are continuing the conversation and who, um, continue to want this work to be done. So yeah. Thank you. Stay tuned. It, it didn't work. It didn't go. Where's the other part? <laughs> Stop. If you or someone you know is stuck in a trafficking situation and needs help, please reach out to the National Human Trafficking Hotline by calling 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP, H-E-L-P, to 233-733.